Inside Kempe, dishes in front, another sliding catch saved by Flurry, this time to his right. Because one hour isn't enough, we welcome you back for hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Here is a left wing opportunity, Lizana sliding, catch save, Robin Leonard, what a stop. From the Finley Chevrolet, Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios, and live at LVSportsNetwork.com with your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Hour number two, Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, rolling right along here on a Wednesday. And, you know, it's amazing the luck that Brian and I have had this week in terms of monster news. Renaud Lavoie tweets out just a few minutes ago, I'm hearing the Canadians won't protect Shea Weber for the expansion draft following the latest medical evaluations. He could miss all of next season, if not more. Uh, bombshell, to say the least, I, and and honestly unexpected. So we'll get to a lot more in terms of Shea Weber and, and this news in one-timers. But Brian, off the top, just your initial reaction to seeing that news. Well, very, very disappointing for Shea Weber's sake. You say we've had a lot of good luck this week with uh, bombshell news, but it's mostly come at the expense of bad news for other people. Uh, yes. But for Shea Weber, it, it could be career-threatening is what they're saying, and they're, they're evaluating that, so hopefully he's uh, going to be able to recover. Uh, I say it's probably unlikely that he'll be claimed by anyone with that, you know, because Seattle's not in a situation now where they need to reach the cap floor. You know, they're, they're just building their roster. But I would say either way for Montreal, whether it be that Shea Weber was claimed, or if they just use long-term injured reserve, they're going to get close to $8 million in cap relief now that they are uh, that they should be able to play with. So now we bring in Justin Emerson of the Las Vegas Sun to join the show as we chat a little bit more about the Golden Knights and the off-season outlook. Hey, Justin, you're on with Brian McCormick, the voice of the Henderson Silver Knights. I just like saying that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Justin... I, in terms of this offseason, at what point do you say, okay, I'm taking a little bit of a break, I need a breather? Is that coming after the opening of free agency? Have you tried to kind of, you know, disconnect a little bit as we as uh, since the Golden Knights season ended? What's the early outlook been for you in terms of this offseason? Well, I spent 4th of July in Alaska, so I might, I might answer your question a little bit. i got to sneak up there. <laughs> Didn't think I was going to. It actually started just a little whatever. We started planning it a little bit when the Golden Knights went down 2 nothing to the Avalanche. We're like, hey, it looks like we might be available 4th of July. Like, we can go, you know, we've talked about going to see your grandparents for a while. This would be a good time to do it. I was talking with my wife about that. And then the Avalanche, or the Golden Knights came back and beat the Avs, and it's like, well, okay, I'm not going to be free over 4th of July because the Golden Knights, they're not going to lose to the Canadians. So um, once they did, we kind of made that work. But, um, yeah, kind of after weird little lull period right now because there's like something concrete happening but something could be happening at like any moment and we got the draft next week and the expansion draft which even though the golden knights aren't losing a player i imagine they'll be involved in some way or another so answer your question yeah probably after free agency that's what on a tuesday the 28th so that weekend onward you're probably good i remember last year alex petrangelo signed about three four days after uh free agency had opened i was actually on a court when it happened so i had to rush off the court and type up a story real quick from my phone so you never really know what these things 
Justin, it's it's an unusual off season just on the basis of where we are on the calendar, of course, and the year we're coming off of. But it seems like we're whether it's the expansion draft that's driving it or teams' finances that are driving it, there's a trade market that's just as fascinating as the free agent market, and there's a lot of big names out there. Am I misremembering the last few summers, or does this one feel particularly chaotic, that there's particularly more big swings <laughs> and more teams looking to make them or unload them? This one reminds me of... I'm sure you guys remember that pre that summer a couple of years ago where in like a couple hours span, Taylor Hall was traded for Adam Larson. Um, <laughs> Steven Stamkos re-signed with the Lightning and Shea Weber was traded for P.K. Subban all within like three hours. That's kind of what this one feels like a little because like Monday we get, you know, some off ice, on ice stuff. We get Pierre Dorian getting hot or Pierre McGuire getting hired by the Senators. We get... Uh, the Duncan Keith trade, and then the next morning, before we even knew what happened, Ryan Suter and Zach Parise are getting bought out. So, yeah, this summer's been uh, been pretty fun from a hockey standpoint. Uh, nothing yet so far with the Golden Knights, but uh, who knows? That could be that could be right around the corner too. So, uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a fun offseason for sure. And uh, yeah, I would say a little bit more chaotic than normal, especially after last year's. Yeah, that, COVID summer, so. that, that, it's funny, Justin, because I, I, as you say that, I realized today I read that, that Brandon Carlo re-signed in, in Boston. I thought to myself, that's the first time this week where I've said, huh, that makes sense. Everything else is <laughs> 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 I'm like, okay, yeah, that one, that sounds about right. Okay, like six years, four million, whatever. It's like, okay, cool. Yeah, that's normal. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Emerson with the Las Vegas Sun joining us here. So in terms of the Golden Knights, specifically with this offseason, what, what's your sense of what the objective is from Kelly McCrimmon uh, to improve this team, to make this team better come playoff time next year? Well, first and foremost, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to make a goalie decision, right? Because if you're going to go in with $12 million allotted to your goaltenders, that limits a lot of what you can do. For better or worse, you know, maybe it's worth it to have two goalies, maybe it's not. But if you decide that that's what you're going to do, that's a either five or either $7 million that you don't have to go improve the team somewhere else. So you're going to have to make that decision at some point. Maybe they already have. Maybe they're waiting until after the expansion draft uh, when a team won't have to you know, protect whichever goalie they acquire. But you're going to have to do that first. Second is Alex Martinez. Decide if you're bringing him back what the cost is going to be. He's an unrestricted free agent. If you can bring him back, Great. That shores up a defensive spot that you don't need to go find somewhere else. But if he's not coming back, you're going to have to replace him. So there is kind of a there is kind of a domino effect. I think you got to figure out what you're going to do with the goalies. You got to figure out what you're going to do with Alex Martinez. One way or another for either of those, and then you can move on to you know maybe getting a forward, maybe getting somebody to help out in scoring, maybe making a big Jack Eichel trade. We've heard about rumored for a little while. So, but you know I don't think any of those things can happen until you. Figure out the goaltending and figure out Martinez, what's going to happen with those two. So, Justin, with that in mind, we talked a little bit about the uh, the Jack Eichel potential earlier in the show and just what it's going to cost to bring just, uh, Jack Eichel anywhere with mm. prospects and players and also just the cap space you'd have to create to bring him in. I wonder when we're talking about an offseason, Eichel, Seth Jones, Dougie Hamilton, there's enough big names out there is there an argument to be made for, for VGK that less might be more? Of course, you'd always like to add a Jack Eichel, but this is a team that was right there, and it might be a lot of disassembly to bring in some of these big prize names. Is there an argument that, that there should be more of a tinkering mindset and less of a big swing? 
you could definitely make that argument. Uh, but when you look at what the Golden Knights have done since the moment their team name got announced, Tinkering hasn't exactly been their, their forte. I mean, right. they went out and got Max Pacioretty and Paul Stasny <laughs> in that first offseason. They went and got Mark Stone at that trade deadline. Then it was Robin Leonard. It just keeps going on. Yes, you could make an argument that Tinkering works. Because you were, you were close, right? Like, you beat, you beat the Wild. Great team. You lost to the Canadians. You probably but you know, kind of look at it and go, you know, if we do that series again, if we play seven games against the Canadians again, are we really going to lose? You know, maybe because you look at what last postseason and then Montreal this postseason, you know, maybe. But you can also look at this roster that you have and talk yourself into going, you know, we won the most games in the league this year. We were a tiebreaker away from the President's Trophy. Do we really need to change anything? We have that cap space. We can bring Alec Martinez back. We can store a little bit of cap space for a trade deadline move that they have always made. Uh, they've always made a big move at the trade deadline. So, yeah, you could look at it and go, you know, we're, we're pretty close. Let's just run it back and, and, and see if it works. Because, and if you do that, I, I don't know how many people would blame you because of just how good this team was last season. Justin Emerson of the Las Vegas Sun joining us here as we take a look at the Golden Knights, what we expect to happen this offseason. And, you know, Justin, I'm going to let you put on your GM cap. Like, if it were you and you're going into this offseason and you've got to make a couple of moves that you think will improve this team, what direction do you go? Are you making the big splash? Are you going out and looking for a, a, a top-flight elite center? Or are you trying to configure this in a different way, maybe uh, mess around with the lines a little bit, try to see if you have something in-house that can grow into what you need uh, to take the next step? There's, there's a lot of different reasons that McCrimmon and I are different people. Well, one thing we both believe in, clearly, <laughs> is the value of star players. So I would go do whatever I could to go get that star center. And if it's Jack Eichel, I'm on the phone with Buffalo today. It's like, all right, let's get an idea of what it's going to cost. That way I can know how much cap space I have to move around. Because if I'm moving, let's say, Alex Tuck in a trade for Jack Eichel, it's like, all right, well, there's almost $5 million that frees up. You know, now I only have to clear $5 million to make up for that difference in Eichel and Tuck. You know, that's Andre Fleury or Robin Leonard. So things can kind of fall into place a little bit there. But, yeah, I... I can understand the argument for tinkering around the edges, but when you look at where stars are available, and this team has acquired a star winger, two of them, Pacioretty and Stone, a star defenseman at Petrangelo, a star goalie and Robin Leonard since the expansion draft. You're missing that star center, so maybe that is what they're looking at, and that's what I would be looking at for sure. And if it's not Jack Eichel, you know, you, you make a couple of calls. You make you find out who, who is going to be available and who, who can fit under this cap and, and what it's going to cost. And if it's you know, your top pick, Peyton Krebs, or, you know, your top prospect, Peyton Krebs, first-round pick in next week's draft. Now you can get ready to kind of put the balls in motion. So, yeah, I like the idea of going out and finding a star center and, uh, you know, trying to supplement that and making whoever that is and William Carlson one of the top two center 1A, 1Bs in the league. With Justin Emerson of the Las Vegas Sun just one more on this topic, and then we can move on if need be. Um, but I think one of the reasons why the Eichel trade discussion is so enticing is because you look at the free agent market, and it's a pretty thin market down the middle for big impact centers. Perhaps you talk Gabe Landeskog, whose re-signing is taking longer than we would have thought, but you, you assume that will get done. My question would be is that a lot of teams are going to be interested in this Jack Eichel possibility, and we've heard several of them listed. Um 
So you're going to have to outbid somebody's best offer. Are, are there teams out there you think that might be better positioned uh, to to take that big swing, or or, or that that would force uh, Vegas to to up the ante a little bit, maybe even higher than they want to? Sure, I think that you know it's kind of a negotiating factor, right? Like if you can make it work for you know some of your you're trading from a position of depth. I mentioned Alex Tuck because of how many good right wings are on this team. You can afford. To lose a guy on your third line, if that's the centerpiece of the deal, stuck in a first-round pick in Cody Glass or something like that, is that enough to get Jack Eichel? Eh, maybe, maybe not. But yeah, you know, as far as getting out to that point, if you know, if if the Sabers are insisting that it's Alex Tuck and Shea Theodore and a first-round pick, that it's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, no. Um, <laughs> so you do got to wait it out, and I don't think that the team's going to kind of, you know, pounce on a on a bad deal to make it. You know, this team hasn't made a whole lot of bad trades. The Tomas Tatar one kind of comes to mind in, in the, at the 2018 trade deadline. But other than that, you look at what they gave up to get Mark Stone and, and Robin Leonard. It, it wasn't that much. Alex Petrangelo is a free agent. Max Pacioretty, you gave up a lot, but you got a lot. I maintain that was a good trade for Vegas. So, you know, you do kind of got to wait it out a little bit, see what the market's going to be like. But, you know, sometimes it's the cliche. Sometimes the best trade is, is is one you don't make, and this team is in such a strong position to just run it back with last year's team. You don't have to make this trade, so if it's going to cost too much, you know you you can always pass and and find out who's available at the trade deadline or next off season or when you're going to have a lot of cap space next off season. So it is a very interesting thing for the Golden Knights for sure. You know, Justin, I want to circle back to the the goalie conversation just for a moment because we we were all on the call. Um, uh, for the year-end media availability. And, and when you read the, between the lines of what Pete DeBoer said when asked about goaltending the tandem, what it might look like next year, uh, you can get the sense that, that Pete is is looking at something more traditional, right? Not necessarily having two number one goalies. Uh, Kelly McCrimmon a little bit more diplomatic in his, in his answer of that question. Uh, do you get the sense that everyone's on the same page? Whatever the, the the idea is, whatever you move forward with next year, do you get the idea that everyone's on the same page as to how to deal with the goalies? Sure, yeah. I, I don't think that there's, you know, internal strife for, or anything like that when it comes to the goaltending. I think that you, they might have their opinions on it. And it was, it was interesting to hear DeBoer's comment. And, he, you know, he was kind of asked about it. And he's like, it was great this year. It was a condensed schedule. We needed both guys more normal. And you know, normal isn't dedicating $12 million to a goalie and going with that 1A, 1B thing. And you look at Pete DeBoer's history, he's always kind of had one goalie, whether it was Martin Brodeur in, in New Jersey or, or Martin Jones and whoever else named Martin, apparently, that he's had as goaltender. He hasn't really had that tandem before. So having Leonard and Fleury, it's been great for them. It's worked. It clearly didn't hurt the Golden Knights last year when they won 40 games. But it will be interesting this year when maybe you look at what Logan Thompson did with the Silver Knights this year, and you're like, okay, that could be a good backup goalie for us. We could run out Flurry or Leonard, and then have Thompson play a couple of games too, or sign a veteran. I I think it's interesting, and I don't I don't know if we're going to see both of these goalies next year. And then if you decide that you just want one of them to free up that cap space, then you decide on which one you're going to trade. You can trade the older one that's more expensive, but also the one that just won the Vesna Trophy, or do you? Go back to him, who's been who's been a fan favorite, the face of this franchise, and 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 a lot of times their best player since since this team's existed. So, yeah, yeah, uh, they're going they're going to have a tough decision to make. Uh, and I know I've said it'll be interesting to see how things will work out a couple of times on the show already, but 
it'll be interesting to see how things work out. Justin, as I was reading your article this morning, going through, you know, you pretty much assessed uh, each player on the roster. One of the guys I've been curious about, uh, however the offseason moves shake out for the VGK, you're going to want guys to take a step forward next year who are on the roster already. And the VGK have had a very good uh, track record of giving uh, lesser-known players bigger roles and reaping the benefits from it. I thought Nick Waugh had a phenomenal playoff, and I thought he had a really good season taking another step forward. He's a guy I'm curious to see what he could even do if they wanted to give him an expanded role. What, what do you think about where, where he is right now, uh, depth chart-wise and development-wise? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Nicholas Waugh fan, personally. I think he's he's a really good player who's taken just a step forward at, at every point in his career. You look at, you know, they acquired him now, 10 years ago now. Who knows how time works? But they acquired him <laughs> for as part of that Eric Holla trade. He was he was a good AHL player, and he kind of had a cup of coffee in the NHL, turned into a good player in the bubble for him, was a real solid bottom six player for him this year. You know, making the league minimum. I said in my story, dollar for dollar, he's one of the more valuable contracts that they have because he is he can play on the wing. He can play after the play up a little bit. I don't necessarily think he's a, he's a top six forward, but as kind of a third-line guy all year next year, yeah, I, I think that that's a guy who can – who can do a little bit of everything. He's a good defensive player. He, he can play on your first unit penalty kill. Still in on the power play as needed. Um, so I, I like Nicholas Wall. That's a guy that I'd, I'd really want to hang on to for next season. And, you know, he's got one year left on that deal. He'll probably need a raise next offseason. But for right now, you've got, you've got a really valuable contract that can, that can play anywhere you need him to. So, so yeah, Nicholas Wall is a guy who, who I think is a really big season for the Golden Knights next year chatting with Justin Emerson of the Las Vegas Sun. You know, Justin, in terms of kind of players that, that maybe are ready to take that next step or, or can contribute a little bit more than what they did last season, uh, we talked about Alec Martinez as being kind of that that maybe that one free agent that you want to find a way to re-sign at the right number. If that can't happen or it doesn't happen, how confident are you in the maturation of Zach Whitecloud and potentially taking on a bigger role with this team next year? I like There's another guy who I thought had a terrific season this year. I think everybody on the Golden Knights media wrote about him earlier in the year because we saw some, some offensive from him that we hadn't seen, even if it wasn't translating to goals or assists. He was jumping into everything. You looked at it, you know, in the playoffs, he was jawing at guys. He doesn't look like a rookie anymore. Yeah, physically, long from the National Hockey League, which is crazy to think that this is a guy who's only played, what are we up to now, 60, 70 NHL regular season games? Like, he's because of the shortened season, but he's he's really established himself. And I'm a little bit blocked on the right side by Alex. Trangelo and Chase Theodore if you want to move him up the lineup. But, you know, I think he's a guy that maybe if you wanted to put him on the left side or put Chase Theodore back on the left or Braden, whoever, you could work it your way into the top four for Zach Whitecloud because there's another guy, defensive player, great penalty killer. You know, maybe the offense isn't quite there as to where some of the other guys on the defensive core are, but he's, he's a really good player. And that's a guy that, again, he's making the league minimum. He might even be making below the league minimum because of the contract that he signed last year. But, uh, yeah, another good player for the Golden Knights. And they're going to need you to play on entry-level contracts because of how close they are to the cap. These are very valuable players to the Golden Knights when, when they're making a million dollars. So, yeah, both of those guys, I think, are, are really valuable pieces for Vegas moving forward. We talked about this subject at the start of the week. Uh, I'm curious what you think about this, Justin. How much can the VGK offseason be impacted, what they do, what they don't do, what they wait to do, 
by the way this division looks like it would shape up now going back to the regular alignments not going you know in a, in a foot race with Colorado or St. Louis anymore the, the division is different the competition is different does that change the way they need to attack the next couple of months um that, that's a really interesting question I've seen a couple of couple of uh, thought on that one I don't really think so um, just because you're less worried about winning next year's specific division. Like, you didn't win the West Division this year. You lost on a tiebreaker with Colorado. You still beat Avalanche in the playoffs. Um, you know, they finished third in the Pacific one year, and even though they lost in the first round, they were still one of the favorites going into it. So I think they're less worried about the regular season. And when you look at their regular season, they've had four seasons and they've won the division three times. Um, I think that this, you need to look at what, can build you for the playoffs, and that's what you look at. Whether it's retaining cap space, you can make a big move at the trade deadline, whatever it is, I think your eye needs to be on the playoffs. And you know, maybe it is a little bit of luxury that the Pacific does look kind of weak on paper this year. That you don't necessarily have to worry about the regular season all that much. But yeah, you've got to go with an eye toward the playoffs because I think we'd all if the Golden Knights missed the playoffs, something went catastrophically wrong. So. Yeah, you're, you've got an eye toward the playoffs, and that's, that should be the focus for any, any off-season moves that you make. You know, Justin, this is the last one I've got for you outside of the Golden Knights, who I think right now at this moment we, we kind of look at as the class of the Pacific Division. Outside of the Vegas oh, yeah. Golden Knights, who is the next best team in the Pacific Division and why? Well, I think you look at the last time – the Pacific was aligned the way it is. The Oilers were really good. And Vegas was, was battling with Edmonton for the top of the Pacific at the end of the year. And, and Edmonton had a great regular season last year, too. So I think the Oilers are going to be hanging around the top of the division. Uh, that third spot? No. Because you're looking at some teams that weren't very good. All the California teams, none of them were very good last year. Calgary, Vancouver, struggled. So <laughs> I think that I, they don't have a team yet, but Seattle might be one of the favorites to make a play make the playoffs in the Pacific Division next year just because of how poor this division looks on paper. But a, a team I've got an eye on is the Los Angeles Kings. I think that they are close, and we've been talking about them for a couple of years now with how good their prospect pipeline is. Players are going to start to graduate. They've got a ton of cap space. I've, you know, I've heard that they're really in. They could be in for Jack Eichel, so they could make some sort of big move uh, with their cap space, their young players on entry-level contracts. I, the Kings and the Kraken, I think, might be – battling for that uh, Vegas and Edmonton take those other two. So it, it might not be the the best division on paper, but it's still going to be a fun one to kind of see how those playoff battles shake out. Justin, last for me, I, I just wonder, anyone who covers the VGK has a, an intricate knowledge, I imagine, of the philosophies and the ebbs and flows and challenges of an expansion draft, which Seattle will be undertaking very, very shortly. I would think for Seattle, you're trying to get a grasp on what your game plan is going into that expansion draft, but this wacky week we've had, the buyouts in Minnesota in particular, would make me think there's still a lot that other teams are doing that probably makes Seattle erase the whiteboard and start all over again. Like, it, how, how challenging do you think it is for Seattle preparing for an expansion draft during this very strange, uncertain summer that we're having? Yeah, in the last week, a couple of names have probably already been taken off their board, right? Like, you look at Edmonton, they traded Caleb Jones. Uh, that might have been a guy that they were looking at. Um, you look at Minnesota because now that Ryan Suter's been bought out, Matt Dumba can be protected. So that's a guy that might that might have to get scratched off of uh, Seattle's board. So yeah, everything's everything's moving quickly, and I 
you know, it's kind of rumblings going on as teams are trying to kind of set their – I might see a couple of moves. I mean, we've got – what are we down? Six days until the expansion draft, seven days, and, you know, we could still see half a dozen moves in the league that could, they could alter Seattle's board. So, yeah, they probably spent the last two years kind of eyeballing this up and going, all right, these are the guys we want to get. And now there's a chance that, you know – Five, ten, however many might might be wiped off the board by the ten day. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's gonna be a fun time for the Kraken, and I, I remember how much fun that Golden Knights was draft was, and and hearing all these guys and the rumors that they might be coming to Vegas, and oh my God, Flurry actually is getting drafted, and Florida's giving up how much? And so we'll see what how that works. With the I mean, a lot of fun just as a hockey fan to watch that. All right, Justin. As always. It- just great stuff um your your article today was fantastic where you you lumped every player for the golden knights into categories as to to how likely they're going to be with the team if you haven't read it go out read that article justin thanks so much for joining us here and we are going to chat with you probably uh later on in this off season as we get closer to a free agency because i think that what we're talking about now might look a little bit different in a couple of weeks time thank Thanks a, <laughs> thanks a lot, Justin, for joining us. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Brian. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. That is Justin Emerson of the Las Vegas on does a great job. Doesn't hold back in terms of, of some of the uh, opinions that he has. And I think that that's, you know, an interesting one where you know, we've, we opened the show asking for questions from, from you and, and you wanted to know about goalies you wanted to know about the jack eichel trade and it's interesting when we talk to justin like we can't get away from those topics that are coming up right now surrounding the golden knights and you know what it's it's justin makes a great point the reason why we're having these conversations is because fans are of course interested and because the vgk they have been in on most of the big names or at least in on that discussion so it's reasonable to think there's a great player out there who can make any team better why aren't they going to be you know, knocking on the door and finding out what the price is. So it seems like Justin expects at the very least that that would be the case. One-timers are coming up next right here on the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports, Las Vegas. Brought to the near wing. Big shot, he scores! It's time for one-timers. Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day. And it's a tie hockey game. On the VGK Insider Show. Moving right along here, it's time for one-timers, my favorite segment, because I get to do this unimpeded by Darren Millard, who is in Tokyo for the Olympics. So I am just taking over his segment, and I don't know. When he comes back, I might not give it back to him, because the news has been pretty remarkable over the last couple of days. We start off with everyone's favorite player, Kirill Kaprizov, and The reports being that Kaprizov turned down an eight-year, $72 million contract from the Minnesota Wild. Average annual value reportedly at $9 million per year for eight years. Uh, Kaprizov holding firm to his belief that he is a $10 to $11 million player and also looking for a shorter-term deal, four to five years max for Kaprizov. So now we've kind of got an idea of what the terms are from Minnesota. We've got an idea of what the ask is from Kaprizov. What do you think ends up happening here? It's got to be so nice to be in a position to turn down that money. 
Like, I, I don't even I, dream of one, having that money. I dream of being able to say no to it. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's that's actually fair because I, I don't even allow myself to get to that space. I'm just like, okay, $72 million, I'm in. I'm in. Okay. I'm trying to think of like a proportional comparison to my actual life. That'd be like, hey, Brian, we'll give you eight <laughs> Twinkies by the end of the week. Like, no, I want ten ringdings now. But <laughs> I digress. Uh, you know, what's, what's interesting here is he wants a shorter-term deal so that he can make more later, and I get that. Yes. And if you're Minnesota, well, I wasn't entirely sure of, does he want 10 or $11 million now, or does he is he okay with the $9 million a year for a shorter term so that he can make 10 or 11 in three or four years? That's why I wasn't so totally my, sure. My read on it is I'm Kirill Kaprizov. I'm a 10 or $11 million player. I want a five-year deal at eleven million dollars. Like I think that's okay. that's the ask from okay. Kaprizov, right? So if you can find a way, as Bill, like if you're Bill Guerin, if you can kind of get to five years at maybe just a, a shade over ten million, maybe that's a win for you in this situation. But from Kaprizov's standpoint. He believes he's worth a dollar amount. He's not looking to give any discounts. He's clearly got all the leverage in this situation, and he's trying to ensure a second payday, and I understand that yeah. from his perspective. So the, I, I think the answer is look at the position they put themselves in. Minnesota's going to give it to him. I mean, what, <laughs> what's $2 million between friends at this point? So I'm sure they'll get it to where <laughs> he wants to be. The only thing that would be a question to me then is he wants a shorter deal. Minnesota, you want to lock him up long term so you don't have to worry about it anymore. Instead mm -hmm. of yeah. like, Carroll saying, no, no, I want you to bid for me against other teams in four years as a UFA rather than letting them buy up years of his free agency. Um, I just, this is silly probably, but I wonder, that's a, that's a lot of money for someone who doesn't want to mm -hmm. commit to you long term, which would only make me think like he's going <laughs> to he's gonna bump the price up even more and he maybe wants to leave. Again, do you, do you trade him now? Because the time that he wants to his contract to be up is also going to align with when the dead cap buyout money from the Suter and Parisi buyouts is gone. So you'll actually be in a better position to pay him at the end of this window he's talking about. But so will everybody else. Right. So, in conclusion, I think the Wild have put themselves in a position this week. They've got to, they, they want to sign him, and they kind of have to. So, I think they'll play ball and just give him what he wants. Uh, but I, I don't know if it, it, it's not the deal they wanted. That's for sure. I think they wanted to, to lock this up for the better part of a decade and, and, and be done with it, and they're not going to get that peace of mind. And the majority of the time that they have Kaprizov, where they're paying him a huge number, they're going to be under a lot of cap stress. 100% agree with you on Kirill Kaprizov. It'll be interesting to see how it goes, but if, if that contract for Kaprizov is shading closer to $11 million, then I think we understand who really did put the hammer down and, and, and utilize all the leverage to their advantage. We do have some understanding of what happened and who damaged the Stanley Cup. Pat Maroon was on radio today in uh, in St. Louis, and he, here's here's what happened. Pat Maroon said it was obviously raining and it was wet. He told St. Louis-based radio station 101 ESPN, "I went to lift it and I went backwards with it. I slipped. My brother Phil held me up, and the cup went back on its end. So Pat Maroon damaged the Stanley Cup." 
Well, I think when it happened, you know, someone would say, look at it, and it's like, what happened? It looks like someone backed over with a truck. Who broke it? The big rig. I mean, it kind of <laughs> makes sense. Um, <laughs> again, I say it again. I will excuse it in the sense that Pat Maroon is far from the first person to uh, yeah. to work over the cup a little bit. They are highly skilled and ready, whoever it is who does it, to repair this thing. It has seen a lot worse than a misshapen bowl. Again, rumor has it, <laughs> legend says, the cup has been returned before in multiple pieces. At least Pat Maroon was nice enough to keep it intact. What's amazing is Pat Maroon did clap back at some of the people saying that this was blatant disrespect of the Stanley Cup. Maroon went on to say, people were saying we disrespected the cup. That's such BS, not number one BS, which would have been really funny. Because if they had half a brain, you know it's wet outside. You think we'd be throwing the cup around? No, we didn't disrespect it. It was a complete accident, and I got hurt. So you know what? I'm, I'm going to choose to just say this is... This is an unfortunate event, and it made for a really awesome picture, and it's amazing that Pat Maroon is the guy that it happened to. So, news out of Buffalo, and it's not Jack Eichel. I know we've had some big news during these shows, but it's not anything to do with Jack Eichel. Jeff Skinner has agreed to waive his no-move clause for the purposes of being left exposed in the expansion draft. No, uh, the angle that I've seen most prevalent since that news broke was that this isn't so much about Seattle picking up or wanting or even entertaining Jeff Skinner. It's that this allows Buffalo to protect more players because the thought process is Seattle isn't going to go after Jeff Skinner. But I guess the question is, should that be a player that's on the radar of the Seattle Kraken? Yeah, you know, I don't, uh, I don't dismiss it that much. Now, Jeff Skinner came off a, a terrible year, just a, a bad year yes. in a, in a year where it's again it's hard to assign legitimacy to bad seasons because it was a really weird, unusual season. But his last two years in Buffalo uh, did not come close to his first, where he was among the best goal scorers in the game for at least the first half of the year. I would be very curious. Look at Taylor Hall when he left Buffalo and went to Boston. Well, he looked like Taylor Hall again, didn't he? It's yes, worth it's worth questioning. Buffalo is a hard place to play well the way that roster is currently constructed, and he's supposed to be one of the bright spots of that, and hasn't been. But at his age, which he's now uh, he's twenty nine, he's twenty nine, uh, and his birthday's in May, so he's a young twenty nine. He's absolutely one of those guys that I would want to take a, a chance on. Of like, hey, maybe he's a thirty goal scorer again in a new environment. Uh, it's a risk worth taking in that sense. And Ron Francis had him in Carolina, so he knows what he's capable of. There might be a connection there. And I'm also of the opinion, too, if you're Seattle, again, you're constructing this this uh, team with players that are, are likely largely going to be low-cap numbers, or at least you'll have your choice of guys of lower-cap numbers who are unprotected. you got to spend money on somebody to get to the cap floor, right? So, yeah. You know, it's it, it's it's a lot. It's a lot of years left of Jeff Skinner at nine million, and that makes you gives you pause. But he's actually one of the guys I could actually see resurrecting himself in the right setting, and some of the building blocks seem like they'd be in place there for him to do it. It's not the most outlandish thing to me. So the thing for me with Jeff Skinner is early on in his career, it was inconsistent, right? He would have a really good season. He'd score a bunch of goals, and then he'd take a step back. And then he'd come back, bounce back, have a great season. And it would alternate, alternate, alternate. Then he had really three 
three or four seasons in a row where he was absolutely phenomenal. He scored 40 goals his first year in in Buffalo. And, you know, you look at that and you say, okay, this is a player that, that has shown a propensity throughout his career to be able to find the back of the net. I think you're going to need players like that. And I, I think you take a chance on a guy that's had two down years in an organization that has just been terrible, terrible. I, I don't think it's the worst idea in the world to, to bring in a, a Jeff Skinner and take a flyer on him and see if he can maybe get you to, uh, to get, get you 20, 25 goals. Like that might be a, a gamble worth taking if I'm the Seattle Kraken. And then, and again, the, 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 the term is what is a little bit scary to me. Nine million is a lot of money, obviously. And it's going to yeah. be one, two, three, four, five, six years left on that. So it's a gamble. It's absolutely a gamble. But that's kind of also, and we learned this from the VGK, if you're smart during the expansion draft, you can compete immediately. There are some guys worth taking a chance on. Again, you got to pay somebody real money to get to the cap floor. That's Maybe he's not the right guy, but you're going to have to pay some people. Uh, yeah. If you're the guy who thinks he can leapfrog you there, if you find out you got a 30-goal score, uh, it's not the most outrageous gamble to me. I, I'm, I'd be curious. I'd be uh, intrigued by him as being one of the options of the guys exposed who, if he is the Jeff Skinner of a year and a half ago, can accelerate the timeline in a big way. The Pittsburgh Penguins have re-signed Teddy Bluger to a two-year, $4.4 million contract. Uh, file that in. Uh, I think it makes sense. Yeah, that's that's uh, right in the the, bland, uh, the Brandon Carlo category. Like, eh, I get that. Okay, that's good. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, an appropriate price and doesn't really move the needle one way or the other for me. Just a good, good standard depth uh, re-signing and the the Penguins taking care of their own their own house. Yeah, and the last thing here in terms of one-timers, the Vancouver Canucks AHL affiliate is now going to be closer geographically, but also going to share a name with the parent club. The AHL Abbotsford Canucks will begin play in 2021-22. What do you think of the jerseys? Liked them. I liked them. They're going to share a division with the uh, <laughs> Silver Knights as well, so fans will have a chance to see these uh, up close. Um I have no problem with them. People, some people are griping. They call them the Canucks. They could have done something more creative. Sure, they could have, but, I mean, it's yeah. hardly unusual for AHL and NHL teams to share the same name. Uh, the the jersey, for those who haven't seen it, they've adopted Johnny Canuck, the, uh, yes. the, the character, if you will, uh, who is a secondary, if not tertiary, logo on the Vancouver Canucks side, uh, and they've put him front and center. So Johnny Canuck is the logo, and I love that. I, I thought it was a great way to, uh, you know, again, you're using the same name, but that's creative. It's uh, a, a few levels deeper in, in thinking, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not just taking the, the orca and slapping it on the front. No, they went a little deeper than that. Uh, it's, a, it's a logo that it's a, a character that deserves more uh, face time, so he's going to get it. Yes. So I liked it all. The only thing I would have liked maybe more is the black and orange and yellow mid-90s streak logo and jersey set that they had in the, the Pavel Burry, Trevor Linden days. Uh, they're using yep. it as a third jersey now. I love that, and I wish they would just bring it back full-time. So if they had just made that the <laughs> AHL uniform just to have it more prominently in the fold and they wore that all the time, I'd be over the moon. Uh, but very, very happy with Johnny Canuck and the, uh, the blue-green color scheme. The, the electric skate is always going to be how I imagine the Vancouver Canucks. We are, uh, we are two peas in a pod there. 
Those are your one-timers for Wednesday, July 14th. Catching up with Chapman is coming up next on Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're back to the Findlay Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios. This is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Here's Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Wrapping it up on a Wednesday, fun show. Thanks to Justin Emerson for joining us. We established the team of the century, sort of. But now it's everyone's favorite segment, Catching Up with Chapman. What do you got, buddy? All right. Well, earlier in the day, you tweeted out that we would answer questions on Twitter. So I figured I would save the day and pick one of these (laughs) questions that were posed to us on Twitter. And I would use that for a Keeping Up with Chapman. It comes from Timothy Hansford, who asks us, if you had to choose one to never be able to eat again, which would you choose? The options are pizza, tacos, or fried chicken. The answer for me is very easy. I don't even have to think about it. Fried chicken, you're out the door. Don't care. Bye. Not giving yeah, up pizza I'm, I'm or not, tacos. I'm I'm not. Uh, I I have to agree with you. Like as as good as fried chicken can be, and it could be very very good. It is not an institution for me in the same way that pizza and tacos are. Uh, tacos might be my favorite my favorite thing to eat. I like a lot of different styles of tacos. And a lot of different fillers. So, yeah, I'll go with fried yeah, chicken. What about I, you, Brian? I grew up in New Jersey. I'm still taking tacos. I think you're doing fried chicken wrong. Uh, a taco is basically meat, <laughs> cheese, and everything I take off my burgers. So I have no need for that. <laughs> wow. Well, Welcome Brian. to Vegas, Brian. <laughs> One last controversial yeah, exactly. opinion before you say goodbye to me for the week, right? Yeah, so this this is uh, this is the end of the road for you with us this week, but hopefully we'll get we'll get you on next week. Thank you so much, Brian, for jumping on, and really for having the uh, team of the century debate with me. Thanks for having me on, fellas. It was a great time the last few days, and I think I understand Darren Millard better now than I ever have. Do you like him more? I understand him more, and uh, <laughs> that's the the, th- the the things he says like oh, my captain. Ch- Chapman, I just can't do it anymore. Now I'll know. I'll know it's because he's he's abolishing fried chicken. Just Thanks a lot to Brian McCormick. <laughs> we will talk to you tomorrow.